Welcome to Not Artificially Sweetened, a weekly podcast where we reflect on all things diabetes. Your hosts are specialist physician Stan Landau and diabetes specialist nurse Michael Brown. We are passionate about using our talents to change lives for the better. Our mission is to build bridges of insight and understanding between people with diabetes and the health professionals that facilitate their care. Nothing is off the table here as we discuss real people, their real issues and stories, and together discover real answers to many vexing practical issues in diabetes and its management. Hello everybody and welcome to the 41st episode of Not Artificially Sweetened. Joining me today as always, and for the final time this year, before we go off on our annual break, Michael Brown. Hi, Stan, and hi, everyone. Yes, it's been a long and busy year, and this is an episode of celebration and of looking forward to the future. So for those of you who are going to have an opportunity to take a rest, remember that you can download and listen to any of the past 40 podcasts on your favorite platforms, such as Spotify or the Apple podcast platform. If you've enjoyed these sessions, give us a like and share widely on your preferred social media. You can always share your thoughts and ideas and ask questions on podcast at cdediabetes.coza. We've had a busy year, Stan. At the beginning of February, this series of podcasts was just a dream. You came to me and said, Michael, I think we need to do a podcast. And our first episode aired on 21st of February. And here we are, 41 episodes down. And I thought it'd just be nice to spend a couple of minutes reviewing the year that we've had and inviting our listeners to do the same. Please let us know what you think of what we've produced this year. Our email address is podcast at cdediabetes.co.za. We'd love to hear your thoughts and your feedback. We'd love to hear how we could do better. We started the year, Stan, trying to get people with diabetes and healthcare practitioners into one conversation space. How do you feel it's gone so far? It's gone particularly well, considering nothing like this had existed in the South African setting. Typically, we would learn together as healthcare providers, or people with diabetes would kind of congregate in their own way, whether that be in a support group on Facebook or in a WhatsApp group. Nice that we've been able to combine that too, and the feedback we've had thus far has been most refreshing. Absolutely. What we've done is we've promoted and let people understand the idea of the wider diabetes care team. And in that vein, we've introduced doctors and nurses and dietitians, pharmacists, psychologists, physiotherapists, biokineticists, and so on. Many members of the diabetes team that people may need to access at some time in their life. And we've had an opportunity to meet these people, understand why they're passionate about diabetes care, because it's them an opportunity to change the future instead of just dealing with a mess all the time that we see in acute medicine. So for that, I think it's been wonderful. The other thing is that we've introduced many people with diabetes. And of note, we've introduced a commercial pilot who regained his wings, women with previous eating disorders, moms with more than one child with diabetes, and so on. And finally, we've also partnered strongly with advocacy organizations in South Africa, SA Diabetes Advocacy and Sweet Life, for example. And we are really enhancing and supporting the advocacy conversation in this country and hopefully worldwide now that we are in 29 countries. Much of the feedback I've received about the podcast has been how excellent it's been finding so many divergent people who share different stories around their experience with diabetes, as opposed to the healthcare team members that you had alluded to. And what's interesting is that as long as you're going to remain in practice, there will always be great stories to be heard. 
there'll be great lessons to be learned from everybody. And I would imagine that in the years ahead, and particularly with next year, it's going to be great to unearth fantastic stories of things that we've heard. For sure. We've heard from people who've ridden 100 miles. We've heard from extreme sports over and above those on bicycles or on two feet. And much like our national diabetes meeting held just a few weeks ago, the diabetes team might continue to include people as diverse as a vet in the future and why that might be important. Right. And just thinking about how important animal health is to you as a person with diabetes and what impact an animal can have in your care. We've heard stories of people whose pets have been unwell and they haven't been able to go for a walk. And because they weren't walking, they gained weight perhaps and their blood glucose levels weren't as well managed. So everything counts. And if we can be as inclusive as possible, and we want our listeners to point that out to us if we're not being inclusive enough. And is the diversity of the kind of content that we're carrying here meeting your needs and expectations? And you're welcome to share all of those thoughts with us. Yeah, absolutely. If we are not meeting your needs, we need to know so that we can change course. Michael, it's unfair to kind of distill my year into a single sentence, but I've harped on this a lot over the last couple of weeks. And in essence, it's really been about Ozempic. And I don't think anybody anywhere in the world who's managing diabetes isn't having these kinds of conversations about these weekly injections and the ongoing chronic dire shortages of this medication. It makes me reflect on the year as a whole to think about a lot of prescribing of medications, some of the newer medications, and in rare cases, resorting to perhaps some older medications with diabetes. But it struck me as interesting is that as much as we can prescribe and prescribe in the orthodox setting of clinical diabetes practice, wouldn't it be nice to look at aspects beyond the prescription pad, beyond just nutrition, beyond physical activity? And it was that deliberate reason that we've invited our final studio guest for this year to join us. That's Nina Johnson. Nina has sent us a bio of herself, which is exceptionally diverse, massively diverse. And we're going to drill down onto many of those attributes. But perhaps first and foremost, what caught my attention was that she is an accredited body stress release practitioner. I want to hear more about that. And I want to understand her professional engagement and where that meets chronic disease and diabetes specifically. So welcome to you, Nina. Thank you for taking time out of your very busy schedule to join us. Thank you very much for having me. It's really a privilege to be part of this and part of this podcast. So thank you very, very much for inviting me and giving me the opportunity to share my story. You know, I often hear patients come in and they say, you know, doc, you're not going to like this, but I went to see a homeopath last week or doc, you're not going to like this. I'm using an Ayurvedic medication. And my standard response is to smile and say, in the setting of diabetes medicine, well-being can encompass more than just blood glucose levels or you being on a particular treatment. And over the years, which is now coming up for 21 years that I've been involved in diabetes medicine, I've certainly mellowed and are far more open-minded now than I was when I left my postgraduate training. So Nina, broadly speaking, you sit in a, an aspect of healthcare that doesn't ordinarily conform to the so-called orthodox healthcare settings. And I want to blur those margins. And I want to ask you, what do you bring to the well-being of people with chronic disease? Tell us a little about your professional life. I've been running my practice now for three years. I've got a beautiful, serene environment where I've got my practice, which is part of my home. Clients that come, we call them clients, obviously not patients. I am a practitioner and it is a complementary practice which has been developed in South Africa 35 years ago by Ewald and Gale magazine. Just to keep it as short as possible, what the background is concerned, Ewald fell out of a tree when he was five years old. He was out for the count for a week and when he came to himself, he was in severe pain. The pain could never be in his back. He could not even bend over to touch his knees. The pain was totally unexplained. He had x-rays, he had ample tests, and the pain could never be understood. The origin of the pain 
So he could never partake in any sport, in any activities that are physical. He was just in so much permanent pain. He was studying in Cape Town when he met his wife, Gail. And now and then he did go to a chiropractor, and that gave him temporary relief of his pain. So they decided after their normal studies, his studies, they would go to become chiropractors so that she especially could help him having a life. At that stage, you couldn't study chiropractor practice in South Africa, so they went to America to do that. They did not like the invasiveness of the practice when they started their studies, but were lucky enough to meet Dr. Van Rampt, who was a retired chiropractor who gave a weekend seminar, and he not only found a much gentler method in dealing with the physical pain of the body, but also found a way for the body, for the person to give him feedback, and that is via an involuntary muscle reaction to his touch one of your legs pulling shorter ever so slight. So to the normal eye, it's not visible. But to people who are trained in body stress release, it speaks very loud and clear. So that's got them very excited about the muscle structure and the nerve structures in the body. We've got a big nerve structure in the neck, usually responsible for the upper part. And we have got a big network of nerves at the lower back, which is usually responsible for the lower part of the body. However, what we have found is the majority of people have got problems in the lower back, but that can radiate all the way up to the neck and then down again. So they started working on each other and his pain, she obviously more on him, and his pain started becoming less. They did finish their studies as chiropractitioners, came back to South Africa and opened their chiropractitioner practice in Cape Town. However, with every patient that they had, they used them as a case study. They worked together on the body because most of the time you lie with your face down and we work on your spine. And what they found is they did a case study with every of their patients and accumulated their data and developed their practice because Dr. Van Rampt only did the start of it. And so what they found is it did not only deal with a physical pain, it also dealt with an overload of emotional and mental stress overload. So they had success with suicidal people, babies with colic, bedwetting, nerve damage, you name it. It's a miraculous practice whereby we facilitate the process of getting that communication going again between your body and your brain because something has gone wrong along the way, but it is actually your body that is doing the healing. We do not do the healing. We just facilitate that connection again because your brain, your body, and your emotions are not separated. And often something that happens to you on an emotional and mental level has a direct physical outcome on the body in terms of pain, in terms of even depression. Something could happen that triggers something. I've had a case of epilepsy that was triggered by something happening at the age of eight, which was very traumatic for that person. The person is now 22 and had very regular four to five episodes a week. After the first session with me, it stopped. She has had no further epileptic fits. So it is astonishing, but it's not me doing it. It is the body healing and actually opening up that overload of stress. We use an analogy where we open up this onion and we go down to the layer of that stress overload, which could be there even for 20, 30, even longer years just sitting there. 
And so what we do is to facilitate that opening and that communication. And so they were so successful, Ewald and Gail, with what they did. They stopped using chiropractitioner practice altogether and only used what they developed. And they then closed the chiropractitioner practice and opened body stress release in Cape Town. Then there was an interest by some of their clients. They said, you can't keep that knowledge to yourself. Can we please become practitioners? So the training program together, and they had the first number of trainings in Cape Town. Later on, they bought ground in Rondeflay, which is outside wilderness, and they built the academy overlooking one of the lakes. And this is still where the academy is today. They can take on 24 students a year. We usually have 10 of those coming from overseas. We've got a high number of BSR practitioners in Holland. Holland is very open to the self-healing body, to alternative overseas. That's where we have the highest number of practitioners. Worldwide, we have about 470. In South Africa, only 180 practitioners. And the majority of those are along the coast. I must say it blows my mind every single day when I see the capacity of the body self-healing. What diabetes is concerned there is a huge impact mentally and emotionally to people who live with a chronic condition, as well as neuropathy. I've had clients who had nerve damage, okay, not only people with diabetes, but also other people who had nerve-related issues in their body and inflammation. We can hardly touch them. And it is amazing to see the capacity of the self-healing body. It really is amazing. I just recall one particular case. He couldn't feel his feet. A person with type 2 diabetes, his son paid for him, a man in his 70s, he could start feeling his feet again. I mean, how amazing is that? So the body truly has the ability to heal. I listened to some of your former podcasts and talking about the Center for Diabetes and how you train your staff to really engage with all the people that come into the Center it doesn't matter if it is people with diabetes or not. And this is truly what you have created. You have created such an amazing environment mm -hmm. that is so welcoming to come into the clinic. I mean, I've been going to the Diabetes Center in Houghton now for 23 years, and I'm known to most people there because I've been coming for such a long time. And I'm always greeted by name, and sometimes I don't even know the people by name. But it's always this engagement. It's like a big family. And you are not just a number, you are a person. Mm. And that's how we treat people also with BSR. You are a person who's coming to see me and not just on the physical level, but also on the emotional and the mental level and to be able to talk about your stuff. Nina, thank you for sharing that, uh, particularly about your diabetes, which I'm sure we're going to get into. Before we do that, let me ask you, you've spoken kindly about how the staff are sensitized, but if you're a South African who's paying a medical aid, you kind of have this expectation that the traditional orthodox approach to care is what you are going to get. How do you sensitize somebody to something such as stress release and the emotional component when most people have grown up, you have a cut, you have a band-aid, you see the doctor and you get a handbag full of medication. I'm interested in how we should be helping people become more sensitized to alternative ways of providing chronic care? One of the main aspects is the emotional and the mental impact it has living with a chronic condition, being labeled by other people, being put in a box where there is nothing else but medication and going to a health provider that gives you the medication. It goes far beyond 
living with a chronic condition is really putting such pressure on all aspects, mentally, physically, emotionally. And for people to actually see that often there is a lack of happiness, there is sadness. Often people don't realize that, that they carry this, this sadness and this burden. Yes, we live with this chronic condition, but we can share. We can do things that actually give us better well-being mentally, emotionally, and physically. You asked the question, how can we sell to people with diabetes, if I understand your question correctly, to maybe seek alternative to medication, to diet, to actually really go and experience, maybe go to reflexologists who can actually work also with your body and your meridians and pick things up. It is actually the people, the diabetes nurses in your clinic, as well as you, Doctor, the head of the nursing facility there, Michael, to maybe talk about to your patients, to talk about that there are other outlets in terms of especially getting you mentally and emotionally in a space where you can cope better with what you are living. You're not going to change that easily what you're living with, especially if you've got type 1 diabetes. You can't change that. However, alternate health professionals can add a better quality of life mentally and emotionally to what you are going through and making it easier for you to accept what you're living with, but to also even welcome it in a way. When I meet people with type 1 diabetes, I met a young man the other day. He's only early 20s. And he said, you know, Nina, in a way I'm welcoming that this happened to me because I have really started looking after myself on all levels. Mm. And I would have continued abusing myself, drinking alcohol, overeating, not getting enough sleep, and, and, and. But this has really put me on a path of wellness. So if one could embrace to see the positive out of a situation and actually embrace it and say, okay, I'm living with this and I can use it to the best of my advantage and in the same way, share it and help other people who live with the same condition. Nina, as an evidence-based practitioner, what you're talking about fascinates me because I understand the whole concept of allowing the body's own innate healing processes to reach their maximum potential. But I'm interested, as I'm sure many other health professionals are listening to this podcast, body stress release doesn't use medication or machines. It doesn't involve massage, manipulation, the use of pressure points or energy meridians. So what exactly does it do? How do you achieve the outcomes you do achieve? And what outcomes can people expect to achieve? We do work physically on your body. So most of the time, I, for example, have got an automated bed where I lower you down so you don't have to climb on the bed and I physically work on you. I work mm -hmm. mainly on your spine, but also other body parts. It's a very specific, very, very gentle technique. We work on pregnant ladies. We work on babies. We work on the elderly. We work on adolescents. We work on young children. And obviously it has to be extremely gentle working on babies and the elderly, especially. The technique, we don't disclose. It is a very unique technique, mm -hmm. which is very gentle, but you will feel my touch. And it is proper anatomy that we are dealing with. So I am not working with crystals or anything like that. It is proper anatomy where I really work with my hands. I read your body, the body feedback that you give me in terms of one of your feet pulling shorter 
To me, it speaks loud and clear. And then I release accordingly. Often overload of stress is along your spine. The spine is our life, truly. Without the spine, we don't exist. And what we also found is it's very directional. So we test, we call it testing. We test in the one direction. If there is a no and no answer, we test from the other direction. And that is an involuntary muscle reaction. You do not control that. What you can expect when you come here, we are often, just like to mention, the last resort for people who have been down all other avenues. Some of them even had operations, neck operations, lower back operations, which did not help them at all. They come to us as a last resort. They've been everywhere else. I can give you so many examples of my clients. One of my latest one is a lady. It's a very specific condition. It's called FSHD. It is a muscle dystrophy where the muscle is completely wasting. It can hit any of us at any time. I did a lot of research into that. I have not found another BSR practitioner who's had a case like that. She just had her fourth session with me. She's a young lady, 42 years of age. It happened to her in 2019. She is boarded. She walks with a stick. So the walking is very bad. She contacted me because she is in daily such severe pain. So that's why she came to see me. At the first session, I take your medical history. I need to understand your body, what operations you had, what falls. I also address posture to a great degree because I don't want you to undo your body's healing with incorrect posture. And obviously, I explain body stress release as well as I will always work on your body. After the first session, also, she shared all her emotional stuff and the mental stuff that comes with living with this condition. Sure. When she came to her second session, she said, Nina, I am walking better. And I could see that she was walking better. The research I've done into this condition, there is no cause. There is no remedy. It is a progressive, mm -hmm. terrible condition. Mm -hmm. Full stop. There is nothing you can do to make it better. However, we are proving them wrong. So when she came now, this week, for her fourth session, she got out of the car and she said, Nina, I have stopped using, on short distances, using my stick. And she walked almost straight. She said, body stress release has just given me such hope, but on all levels, not just physical, my mental state. I used to live like a total recluse. I had to force myself to even go out once a week. Now, last week, I was out four times a week and I thought to myself, maybe I should stay at home today. So her confidence level, because what body stress release does, it really releases that overload of stress that is emotional, deep set in your body and the mental stress overload. And it's just got such a freeing effect and a healing effect on your body. But it is your body doing the healing. And so it blows me away every single day. I can give you another very, very good example of a young boy, six years of age. His mother contacted me. She's also a client. She said, Nina, my boy, Michael, he stopped talking to people. He stopped communicating with us. He gives one simple answer. He's the saddest boy you've ever seen in your life. I don't know what is wrong with him. I don't know what's gotten hold of him. So he was truly the saddest boy. Obviously, with a child or an adolescent below 18, I take the medical history with a parent without the child being present. When I brought him up, the tears were streaming down his face. So he had an immediate emotional release. We did not talk about it. The next day, I spoke to his mother. She said, you've given me back my boy. He is running around. He is laughing. He started playing again with the children in the complex. 
Now, a six-year-old boy cannot play at that. People can say, oh, yes, it made me feel so much better. A six-year-old boy having a 360 turn on his behavior and his sadness. Second time when he came for a second session, he was like a lunatic in the car, waving, ran inside, stood on the platform and said, I'm ready. So it is just truly amazing. So often we don't know why is there sadness. To this day, we did not find out what happened to this boy and what took hold of him to actually suppress him like this. I've only seen him for three sessions. The mother said to me, when must I bring him back? He's so disappointed that he's not coming back. I said, he will tell you when he needs to come again. Nina, you're a vibrant person. You are really a, a go-getter. Your bio has, has done so much, and I'm enthusiastic to hear you're a person who's living with a chronic condition, type 1 diabetes. And as I alluded to earlier, I'm grateful that you've shared that information. Can one practice body stress release on oneself? Number two, is this something that has been part of your journey within diabetes? And were you historically disappointed that the medical profession had perhaps only looked at your blood glucose as a measure of your health and well-being? Tell us about your journey as a person living with type 1 diabetes and perhaps where that intersects with this kind of treatment options that you practice. So I've been living with type 1 diabetes. I was quite a late starter and I knew nothing about diabetes, by the way, nothing, not type 1, not type 2, absolutely zero. And so when I was diagnosed with that, I was actually close to a diabetic coma. And then I started obviously like frantically researching what on earth do I live with and what is the best way? What should I eat? What shouldn't I eat? So I've met with many people, health professionals, as well as parents of people with type 1 diabetes. I was part of the Diabetes Association. I ran a support group for many years with people with diabetes. I was lucky to be given a room in the Sunningdale Hospital where we could hold our meetings. And so it was a great opportunity for me as well to learn from other people and uh, to engage and to just share all our journey. So that support group I ran for many years until I joined my husband in 2009 in Kazakhstan. Living in Kazakhstan was quite an experience. I managed to actually take all my insulin with me for a six-month period. It was an arrangement that I was lucky enough to make to take a lot of insulin with me so I could be looked after there. We lived there for three and a half years and then we went to Doha, to Qatar. I was always physically active in both places. We cycled, we walked. It has always been at the back of my mind that a totally holistic approach needs to be taken to living with this condition in terms of what goes in your mouth, your physical activity, doing the testing, doing all the right stuff. With running a support group, often I had people also contacting me on a private level, which then I accommodated in my home, obviously free of charge to help them, for them to understand and share my journey with them and say, this is what I do. As an example, this is what I eat. This is the exercise that I do. And I had some very, very angry people that came who were so angry about what they were living with. But sharing my life and my story with them and saying, I grabbed it by the horns. And actually, I'm a better person living with diabetes. I am not overweight. I'm not a couch potato. Mm -hmm. I look after myself on every aspect and also mentally. Obviously, your spiritual component to your life is very, very important. I live a life of gratefulness, and I've done this for many, many years. And I share that. I share that with all my clients. Start your day with gratefulness, with whatever you're going through, and count your blessings and see what you've got. So coming back, living in, uh, in Doha, I became a benting coach with a real meal revolution. So that is low carbohydrate, higher fat lifestyle. 
I started consulting there with people. I developed seven different products, which I sold mainly to a South African shop, by the way. All the other stuff that they were selling there was complete rubbish, from the auras to the crisps to the sweets and what have you. So mine was the only healthy stuff, really. But it, it was really fun doing all of this. And then suddenly in 2013, living in Doha, it is very hot. The humidity is very high. I started having tingling in both of my hands. And that is very alarming with somebody living with diabetes. And so I came for a two-week period to South Africa. And luckily, I spoke to the right person that I shared this with. And she sent me to a body stress release practitioner. I did a little bit of reading about it, not much. After the second session, this tingling was gone. It never returned. So that was my introduction to body stress release. And actually learning about that the body has got self-healing capacity. So she put a flea in my ear and she gave me a book to read from Gale magazine, which she wrote. And so I went back to Doha. We stayed. We only came back to South Africa 2016. But it was always niggling at the back of my mind to maybe apply for it. And she apparently put my name forward and I went back to the corporate world. Unfortunately, or fortunately, I nearly had burnout, but I only realized that once I did the body stress release course that I actually had burnout, I left them and I left them with such a feeling of lack of self-worth and I had to be rebuilt and I didn't know how. You know, you can only share so much with your husband and with people around you. At the end of the day, you do have a lot of self-work that you need to do for yourself. I developed, for example, hyperventilation 24 hours a day. Obviously, that also had a bad effect on my blood sugar. I lapsed a bit the control of my blood sugar, I have to admit. And then I went back to body stress release, not for physical, but for actual mental and emotional stress overload. And it helped me greatly. Together with the self-help work that I did for myself, I am a great proponent of uh, Dr. Caroline Leaf. She's a neuroscientist. Her book, Switch on Your Brain, has helped me greatly getting rid of toxicity in your brain. And I came right. It was a long process, but actually it helped me with my emotional and my mental stress overload. So that was my journey coming to body stress release. And then it was the right time for me to apply. And I was accepted and I did the course. It was really life-changing, life-changing. What I learned, also what I learned about myself and the amazing capacity of the body self-healing. Now, the foundation of body stress release is truly the love of the body of the person in front of us. That is the foundation of what we do. We are mindful when we work on a person, we are truly there. Mm. And we engage, as you know, even when you engage Stan, and even Michael, when you engage with other people, there is an energy exchange that is taking place when you speak to people and to your clients and to your patients and the way they respond back to you. That is an energy that is going from one person to the other, back and fro, back and fro. And me working physically on the person, there is an energy flow as well. So you've got to be there with that person. Your mind must not wander off somewhere else. And that's what both of you do. You are really there with a person in front of you. And I mean, Stan, especially because I've seen you the last, I haven't seen Michael in a long time, but you're also, you're so passionate with what you do and you engage with a person. And I love that. I love that because it's like when I'm with you, I'm like two peas in a pot. 
<laughs> truly. <laughs> so I love that. And I love what I do because it changes people's lives. I have an impact on their lives. And both of you, both of what you do, you impact people's lives not just physically with your medication and with how many units you must inject, but truly also on an emotional and on a mental level. So it is a privilege making such a big difference in other people's lives. Nina, I think you raised a couple of important points there. And thank you for the feedback for both Stan and I. We appreciate that. But yeah, I think that ability to invest yourself in a mindful state with your client when you're interacting with them is therapeutic in itself beyond any medication. And I think that's an important reminder for any healthcare practitioner listening. The other thing that really spoke to me was that you have to invest in the self-talk. You have to invest in the hard work that you need to deal with yourself. We can't always, and while it is very important to seek support either medically or socially from other people, some of the work necessarily has to be done within ourselves. And I think that was an important reminder for me. And of course, that needs a fair degree of hard work and of mindfulness and a commitment to work through kinds of issues like that. And the third very important learning point for me was with the neuropathy that you experienced in your hands. We've spoken at length of this, that many conditions in diabetes may only be diagnosed when they're a diagnosis of exclusion. And the fact that body stress release ameliorated that neuropathy reinforces that approach that we mustn't be always saying, well, just because you have diabetes, then it must be a diabetes-related neuropathy. And I think that's a very powerful reminder that we need to be looking at other physical, but also very importantly, other emotional, spiritual, chemical, other causes for what we are seeing clinically. Thank you for that. And Stan, you also asked me, can I do body stress release on myself? Because we work mainly on the spine, it's very hard for me to get there, but I had happenings where I sprained my ankle. Then I can work on myself and apply the technique because I can get there. But other than that, I've got a colleague who was in my year, Hildegard, and her and I, we give each other releases at least twice a month because it is important for both of us to be mentally and emotionally well. And giving each other the body stress release sessions, it makes us just into happier beings. It really has got such a huge impact. And I've got many clients that came purely for physical issues. And then often I see and they come with their faces all crunched up. And second time they walk in, they've got clarity and their eyes are clear and there's a smile on their face. The pain is less, but it's done more than that. It's healed something that was stuck there. One of my clients comes to mind. After the first session, she met with her mother and she said, you look different. And she said, and my friends actually said, what are you doing? You look so beautiful. And she didn't have major physical pain, but she said, Nina, something just left me. I didn't even know it was there, but it burdened me, obviously, but I didn't even know it was there. I am just a happier person. And so I get this comment from many people that it really helps you just releasing that overload of emotional and mental stress that we all experience. I've got a lot of men that come to me only for emotional and mental stress overload. Mm -hmm. There is nothing physically wrong with them, mm -hmm. except maybe not sleeping well. But after the first session, suddenly they can sleep well. So that's my story. And I am just very privileged to do what I do. And I'm very grateful, truly, truly grateful. 
much like hearing stories of our expert guests when we invite them on, Michael, I think many people who come to a consultation in the setting of chronic care are often surprised that practitioners may prod around the aspects. 20 years ago, you really just downloaded the glucometer and focused on the numbers. I think we've become much more sensitized in the last couple of years, and particularly after COVID, really getting into the head, so to speak, of the person with diabetes, understanding their wider context, what's going on in the family, what's happening professionally, is your job vulnerable? Do you have good food security at home and the like? And it can be unsettling for somebody who's unfamiliar with that approach to care, who may just expect it coming in, the doc's going to fix something for me. And you've spoken widely during our intro sessions on how chronic care differs so importantly from acute care settings. So as we kind of wind up the year, just that nudge and that reminder for people with diabetes that it's okay to share in the safe space, you've had that conversation as well, in the safe space with the practitioners that you deem are appropriate. And I've always said, if you're not finding the care you want and you're not finding the care you deserve, you need to start looking elsewhere. There's much more to diabetes management or chronic care than just the numbers. And Nina, you've exemplified that here today is that there's the spiritual domain, this Mm. aspects where care can be sought, must be sought to really fix a person. And I use the word fix in inverted commas because you spoke about many of the clients who came to see you having been broken, for lack of a better word, whether it be physically or broken emotionally, Mm. battered and bruised, and you've set them right or set them on a right path. That really sits comfortably with me. And I'm thrilled that you've come along and shared these insights Mm. with somebody as naive as me to that. And it's because of meeting people like you that we've now expanded the learning for us all here on this podcast. Absolutely. Thank you very much for joining us, Nina. I've known you for over two decades and you've always struck me as someone who's full of energy, impeccably presented as always. And I've just loved how honest you've been (laughs) in this session today, just to reveal some of the vulnerabilities that I would never have been aware of because of your usual confidence that I always see. And so thank you for sharing that with us. And that's what chronic care is about. It's about being real. Yeah. And I think all us being in the field of helping other people, we have got a huge role to play mm-hmm. and also to motivate, not to break down, to motivate people to actually having a routine, mm. going out there, starting an exercise program, looking after themselves and really being more joyous. I talk about joy, joy in life, joy of your body. Embrace what you're living with, make the best out of it mm. and see all the beautiful things around you. Absolutely. And one, I've just linked up with a psychiatrist in terms of brain health and what you can do yourself for brain health. He's in America, but I just love listening to him. And one thing he does is before he goes to sleep, he thinks about all the tiny little moments that happened to him during the day. Every smile, every bird he heard, Every flower he saw, the trees, the sky, every interaction with people in his daily life, he thinks about all these little moments, a squeeze from the partner, a hug from the daughter. And he said, and with these thoughts, he goes to sleep. And he said, all of us should be doing this. And to really be grateful that we are sleeping in a bed, that we can have the care physically that we need that we have health professionals that really look after us and care for us, not just on a medication basis, but also on a personal basis, and to really see all the good things Mm. that Mm. you've got in your life and celebrate, celebrate what is right in the world, and you will be able to cope with what is wrong in the world. That's my message. (laughs) 
For sure. I think living a life of thankfulness is one of the characteristics, if I'm not wrong, of the so-called blue zones. These are areas in the world where people have longevity, usually over the hundred years. And it's usually in those zones that we find people who practice actively living with gratitude and a sense of joy. Yeah. So as we head into the traditional festive season in South Africa and multi-faiths kind of converge at this point, I think the key message leaving us here today is that celebration, that notion that there is much still to be grateful for mm. and much by way of kindness that also should be something that we onboard in our day-to-day. Mm. Michael, it's been an incredible journey, 41 episodes, and I think mm. many of our listeners are perhaps unaware that you are indeed the producer of the show. I uh, sit here week after week and we interview our guests. But at the end of the day, listeners, bear in mind that Michael's work behind the scenes is to put this podcast together. Technically, I'm very grateful that he's been able to do that with such alacrity and great care and producing week after week. For this, we're going to take our break and we will be back in the new year. We'll have a wonderful array of guests to share insights and information. And please, if you've enjoyed the shows, or perhaps if you haven't and have a comment or a criticism, drop us a line at podcast at cdediabetes.coza. Nina Johnson, it's been an absolutely blockbuster of an episode, Mm. a wonderful way to have left the year for ourselves and for our guests. So may you be blessed in the year ahead with good health and be strong and well. And we will see you again, no doubt. You've known us for a short while, me and Michael for many years. Listeners, thank you for joining us this year. And I look forward to joining you on this platform in 2024. Thank you, Stan. And Nina, thank you again for gracing us with your presence today. I think it's an appropriate way to end our 2023 season, our first season of this podcast. Listeners, we look forward to joining you again in the new year, probably somewhere around Valentine's Day in 2024. We need the break. As Stan says, it does take quite a bit out of us to produce this show, and we need to work on your feedback, which we hope you will send us over the festive season if you get a chance, and to strategize what has worked and what we could do better for the new year. If you have any way of supporting us through advertising, remember we've done this on the smell of an oil rag, basically no finances or resources at all, but we would love to do more and we could do more if we had some advertising support. So if that's something, if you run a company and you feel that this would be a valid platform for you to include in your marketing campaign, we'd be very grateful to talk to you. With that, thank you very much for joining us. We wish you a blessed festive season, no matter what faith you are from. May this be a season of joy, of love and of reflection. What went right this year? what we could have done better, and what are we going to do more productively in the new year to come. Many challenges face us, and we need this season of refreshment to steal us for what lies ahead. Have a blessed time, and we look forward to being with you again, over and out from us for 2023. Thank you for joining us on Not Artificially Sweetened, where we aim to build bridges of insight and understanding between people with diabetes and the health professionals that facilitate their care. Anything we discuss is for your reflection, education, personal growth and entertainment only. You join this podcast at your own risk, and we are not responsible for any omissions, errors or unwanted medical outcomes. Please note the following important specific disclaimers. For people with diabetes... The health professionals on this podcast are not your personal caregivers. Always discuss any new information with your diabetes team before acting on any aspect of it. The views and opinions discussed are those of the hosts only 
and do not represent those of any other entity. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you encounter in this session. Anything you learn or experience here cannot substitute for personalized, professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. For health professionals working in diabetes, always discuss any new information with your clinical team before acting on any aspect of it. You are personally accountable and liable for any choices made in a clinical setting according to your level of training and legal scope of practice. Any information or insights gained here must be used with your professional discretion and with the developing base of clinical evidence, local and organizational laws, regulations, guidelines and protocols. Good luck with your diabetes care missions. Till next time. And it's a wrap. Yay!